Welcome back, everyone, to The Connection, a podcast of government market news. I'm your co-host, Marshall McCumber of Think P3 in Washington, D.C., and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Mary Scott Neighbors, President and CEO of Strategic Partnerships in Austin. Hi, Mary. Hi, Marshall. Another really exciting topic and a little bit different from those we've done in the past. Public-private partnerships in Puerto Rico. And joining us in studio today is one of the premier officials in Puerto Rico, Fermin Fontanes, who's the executive director of the Puerto Rico Public-Private Partnerships Authority. Uh, Fermin is in charge of everything interesting, innovative, and exciting going on in Puerto Rico. Fermin, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank, thank you, Marshall, and thank you, Mary, and, and I'm glad to be here today. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to having this conversation. It's going to be a terrific conversation uh, for me and for sure. So let's get right to it. Let's talk just a moment about Puerto Rico itself. How many people live there? What drives the economy? And where do you see growth happening in Puerto Rico these days? So well, there's about 3.2, 3.3 million people that live in Puerto Rico. I think the economy is mostly driven or the, the big pillar of the economy is manufacturing. We are uh, one of the top pharmaceutical manufacturers for the U.S., um, I think about 10 or 12 of the of most sold medicine in the U.S. are produced in Puerto Rico. So our manufacturing sector is very robust and it carries more than, t- than 20% of our economy. We have tourism as well. Tourism has done stupendously in the last three years. We have been breaking records consistently the, the last three years. So this year, 2023. It's a record year as well, and not only in the amount of passengers, amount of flights, amount of people coming to the island. So we are peaking right now in that sector. And obviously right now, we there's a lot of construction and reconstruction related to the past hurricanes and earthquakes that we suffered in the last five years. We suffered a number of hurricanes, actually, and, and the earthquakes. So there's a lot of construction that's out there, but but really our main pillar is the manufacturing sector. And we have done a lot of initiatives to try to continue bringing U.S. companies to Puerto Rico that peak after the COVID-19 pandemic to make sure that we have a lot of manufacturing within the U.S. territories for the future. So we're taking advantage of that and we're, we're pushing a lot in trying to bring most of these industries back to U.S. mainland. So for me, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on this program, you have uh, established a really, really strong public-private partnership initiative there. And you've been very successful, and you are attracting companies from the United States. So um, we thought you would be able to share a lot of good advice, information to companies that might be interested in what you've got coming up and how they get involved, and then also public officials here in the States who are just on the verge of launching maybe their first or second public-private partnership would be interested in your advice. Really, the keystone of our program is that we have a really good legal framework. Um, It's the public policy of the government. Our Act 29 is a really strong law that provides us with all the tools that we need to carry out these processes. And we have a, an administration and a governor that supports the public-private partnerships and the, I, the transparency and the robustness of our process has been key 
for us to be able to reach out to the market and have people compete. I think obviously we have a track record that helps us and the fact that we have continued um, effectively do procurements, go through the entire process and award the contracts helps us in the next process. So to all the public officials, I think my recommendation will be that the most important thing is, that, is to have a really good legal framework that allows the market to feel comfortable that they're going to be supported, that they have the tools for the process, that the entity is able to manage the process. I think in particular, what Puerto Rico has that's different from any jurisdiction is that our office, the Puerto Rico Public-Private Partnerships, is a different entity that essentially acts as a boutique procurement office for the entire government. So we do public-private partnership procurements for the transportation sector, for the energy sector, sure. from airport, port, road, ferry, generation, transmission and distribution, renewables. So the legal framework that we have created has allowed us to establish an expertise within the government on P3s. So we have our office that are experts on managing P3s. And when, for example, the Department of, of Transportation is looking at, at, at a potential project, they come to us and we take it from them and we deliver the project. And that gives us an advantage, I would say, with other government entities in, in the state where the different departments are venturing into public-private partnerships on their own and learning as they go along. Marshall, I'll add one real quick short question and then let you jump in here. Um, how do people in the states here, how do we find out about what's coming up, what you have that they might want to compete for? Our website is p3.pr.gov. We have all the information on all of our existing procurements and what we have done in the past. Part of the transparency that our process requires is that everything that we do is public and it's on, on our website and, and it's available for all other government entities to look at. So when we complete a procurement process, all the documents related to that process are made public. So we have everything there from the our request for proposals, the request for qualifications, the questions that were provided, the proposals, the partnership report that summarizes everything. Everything is there available for the public to see. And on the projects that we continue to administer as an entity, everything related to those projects is also available. So you can go into our website and if you're interested in the energy sector, you can all go to the energy section of our, our website and look at the projects that we have done. And you can see and use what we have done in the past as, as examples. So all of that is there. But most importantly, if you register, once we come out with new projects and new procurements, you know, you'll receive the notice. Um, the other important tool that our law provides is that we, we do accept unsolicited proposal. So private entities that may be interested in looking at Puerto Rico as a potential market, once you browse through our website, and go to our, our law and our regulations and process, you can look at the unsolicited proposal mechanism, potential to come into Puerto Rico and present a proposal on a future project that you may be interested. Obviously, we at the agency, we provide all necessary information. We guide proponents as to how to come up with an unsolicited proposal that can be successful with our partnering entities. Ramin, 
I'm going to build on your comments. I, I do think Puerto Rico's P3 enabling legislation and authority and your political construct is unique. And I do think it offers a, a good, a strong degree of stability for the market, for the government and for the private sector partners in all of this. Kind of two questions. It's well known some of the fiscal challenges of recent years and of course the devastating hurricanes. And it seems to me that Puerto Rico is moving past some of that, that in those initial challenging times. I think two questions. Tell us the role of the U.S. federal government. They made significant investments and are continuing. Yes. Hundreds million more in rooftop solar, I think, across the island to try to build resiliency. So you've got a, a very, very strong U.S. federal government partner, at least from my read, as well as on the other side, you've got a strong uh, political support there locally. Together, those seem to work well. You've got a recent announcement of the toll roads concession. You have the energy concession. Of course, the airport, fabulous, and has been operating now for many years as a P3. What about those roles? It, it seems to me that provides a strong political and policy framework yes. for companies to enter the market that may not have done so before. I totally agree. I think it's the stability that tied to the continuation of having that, that, I would say, as an independent agency or entity that's continuing those processes. We have been able to structure our transactions to that availability of funds that's coming. So um, since the natural disasters, we, we continue to improve on how we develop our transactions to be able to work together with the, with the federal government, and they have been key. When we look at the energy sector, as an example that you have given to us, when we first went out there with the procurement process, we were we were considering different types of, of structures of, of different types of concessions, but all of a sudden, we saw the opportunity to work together with the federal government to avail ourselves of that federal yeah. funding that was coming and structure our transactions in a way that the private entity can benefit from those federal funds to help us rebuild and maintain like a, a stable like rate for the ratepayers that are paying for the, for those improvements. So we are working together with FEMA. We are working together with HUD. We have an excellent relationship with the Department of Energy that works with us, not only on those existing P3s, but on future projects. And the credibility that we have been able to obtain working with this stable framework with those entities has led us to continue to make improvements. So right now, the Department of Energy is investing over a billion dollars in renewable energy in Puerto Rico. And we work together with them to try to deploy those funds. And they work together with us to try to push the reconstruction as well and moving into, into that new era. But it's a continuation, Marshall. It's a, it's a, it's a continuation of, of having the same people, the same team, working together through all this process and having that knowledge of how all these processes work. Mary, I'm going to ask you a question to build on Fermin's answer right there, if you don't mind. I think, for me, what you're saying is what I'd like to think is you are differentiating yourself as a marketplace. Now, Mary, you work with clients and governments across the country, don't you? Well, what is your thought when it comes to differentiation? It sounds to me like for me and his crew and his team is doing good things to do that. Do you agree that's important when we're trying to attract companies and private investment to a particular project? Yes, absolutely. And maybe I would say it more simplistically. Um, I think what I heard you say, it, it, it is the structure that a public entity creates that makes the, the private sector comfortable to come in. 
Uh, they know that they're going to get the support. They're going to have the stability. They're going to have the legal uh, aspect covered. It's going to be transparent, yes. and the competition will be fair and above board. And, um, you know, we have some states that are very, very aggressively rolling out all kinds of P3s, and we have other states that have yet to roll out the first one. And, and I know that, you know, I came from government, so I know it's a little bit uh, frightening to, to launch the first very, very large, maybe a billion-dollar project under a new delivery method. But there are all kinds of assistance and guidelines and, and, and people standing ready to help. And I just think you're a great uh, model for us. So we appreciate that. I, I would add that the, the track record that we have with all the different P3s continues to help so as, as we move forward. Because when you look at the airport, when you look at the first toll road, those P3s have been stable through hurricanes, through changes in administrations, through earthquakes, and our procurement processes as well. So when we were conducting our procurement processes, we went through changes in government, we went through two hurric three hurricanes, we went through earthquakes, and we kept our, our, our eye on the prize, and we continue pushing forward. And I think that gives comfort to the market that, you know what, if I'm going to Puerto Rico and I'm going to participate in a P3 process, I know that I'm spending money that in the end, it's, it's going to result in, in a competitive transaction. And, you know, it's going to be awarded. I'm not, I'm not wasting my time and I'm going to have a solid partner in the government of Puerto Rico that's going to remain stable no matter what happens throughout the term of, of, of the concession. And, and I think the airport and 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 the original Toros have been here for more than ten years, so they've seen changes in administration. They've seen their shares of disasters, and the government has been a partner to them, and they have been a partner to us, working together through all of these challenges. And I think that gives comfort to the market, and that's why every time we go out with different projects, we continue to see not only. U.S. companies, we continue to see a lot of international participation looking at Puerto Rico as a, as a place to invest and feeling comfortable that if we, we are selected, we have a long-term partner. And, you know, the, the tolerance transaction that you're mentioning, we have $2.85 billion initial fee, but it's a more than $5.3 billion investment. And not only that, we, we have banks all over the world, from Japan to Europe to the U.S. to local banks. All the local banks are investing on this. So we have that, gained that credibility from all riches in the world that are willing to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in Puerto Rico, the infrastructure, because then they know that the legal framework is there and that the government is a willing partner. So, you know, Marshall and I have talked many times about the fact that two years ago, Congress allocate more than a trillion dollars to infrastructure project. And uh, all of that spending has to be utilized and committed before 2026. Yes. And, and yet we still have $492 billion that is waiting in the government coffers for 
public-private partnerships and infrastructure projects in the United States. So we are hopeful that uh, public officials are going to get very, very busy and launch lots of projects because there's a lot of need. Marshall, right back to you. Well, I would, I would just build on that. And, you know, we talk about roads and bridges and broadband funding and so forth. But for me, and you touched on this as well, energy. It's a extraordinary the amount of investments we're seeing from the Inflation Reduction Act. Again, I know Department of Energy, as you had mentioned, has its own fund just for Puerto Rico. Astounding. I think a billion dollars for me, right, as you had mentioned. Yes. But truly, when you're looking at trying to build out, when you're trying to, to, to achieve net zero, and one is trying to uh, decarbonize an economy. To Mary's point, this moment in time right now is the time that we have never seen in, Mary, I mean, yeah. decades and maybe since the launch yes. of the interstate highway system. It's extraordinary. It is. And I'm, so I said there's $492 billion left in the infrastructure bill. That doesn't even include ARPA, the ARPA funding. The American Rescue Act money, there's still billions there. And then we get to the Inflation Reduction Act, and most of that money has never been touched yet. It's waiting to start forward in 2024. So we will never, in our lifetime, we'll never see this much money again. I, I, I agree. And I can tell you that that one of the, you know, Hidden, hidden benefits, I guess, of having gone through so many disasters before is that we have the structure to manage all those federal funds. So, for example, when you look at Puerto Rico and the way they have been able to deploy ARPA funding, we are in the top of the nation in terms of deployment and use of those funds because we have the framework, we have the structure, because we have used it for FEMA funding, for disaster funding. So we know how to do that deployment. And when you look at bringing in private entities to help us doing that, I think the energy sector for us in Puerto Rico is a huge example. I mean, it took us probably like a year and a half or close to two years to complete the, the transmission and distribution system P3 transaction. But since then, the amount of projects that the private partner has been able to take out to the market to complete through the FEMA process has been 10 times faster than what the governmental entity was doing. So you see that as, as a government entity, it's worth spending your time crowning a robust procurement to bring in a private partner as the entity that will help you reach those milestones and you know that speed of execution, that expertise that you bring in to carry that flag to the end of the race, I think. This is what we're doing, and this is what I've been, we've been able to do. And I think the proof is out there when you look at our numbers and what we have done with the reconstruction, the difference between what we had before and what we have under the P3 model is outstanding. I've got to build on this point here. I'm going to squarely put my P3 hat on here. And when I think public-private partnerships, I always think leverage. Mary's right. We're all right hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars out there. But listen, for all of our listeners on the podcast, you've got to hear me clearly. There are hundreds of billions, if not an additional trillion or more in private infrastructure investment capital available. And again, one of the great things about the P3 model, it's not perfect, it's not right for every project, as for me knows. You pick the, you, you pick the, the model and the methodology, 
to meet the needs of a particular project. Yes. It, however, all of this funding can be, and many of it is getting leveraged with private investment itself, not just a contract, but dollars coming in to expand these projects in size, scope, and complexity. And that's where a lot of the, I think a lot of the magic really happens in these procurements because you've got investors who are coming at risk and are helping government deliver on those projects and sharing those risks appropriately over 10, 20, 30 years. So the next hurricane will come. For, it will yeah. come. No, I but agree. I think to bring those partners to the table and to bring their capital bear, to bear, I've got to think, is going to make certainly more interesting risk-adjusted project, Mary. Capital, yeah, I, innovation, expertise, all of those. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to say, you know, Marshall, you know this, and for me, you probably do too, but for our listeners, I want to say that the public-private collaborative initiatives are going to be our future. Like it or not, that's going to be our future. There's not enough public money to fund all of the infrastructure projects. And when I say infrastructure, I'm talking about everything from water to airports to security to even technology. Uh, there's not enough public funding, nor will there be 10 years from now. So the quicker we learn to have successful public-private partnerships, the more globally competitive we'll be, the better um, quality of life all our citizens will have. So you're going to hear us talking a lot about this, but I want to say one more time, there is no... Um, there's nothing as good as private sector expertise when it can be given to government for all the people. And the only thing we have to do is manage these projects successfully. For me, we've got about five minutes left here in the podcast, I think. And, and I want to start closing on some some key themes here. Give us give us your uh, wish list here. If the, What types of companies and expertise would you like to attract next to Puerto Rico in the next five, 10 years that you ha maybe haven't seen in the previous five to 10 years or the next five to six months? Sure, sure. Obviously, we, we're still looking for more energy generation, so renewable energy generation. We need more of that, and we continue to push on that. We have a procurement now for an LNG to hydrogen plant that's going on, but we're going to need more. So we probably will launch more renewables or more generation in, within the next year. But for us, and I think, Marshall, you probably heard me talking about this before, but solid waste management in Puerto Rico, we need innovation in that field. And, and it may be tied to energy as well. Broadband is another one that's important, but social infrastructure. I think that, and, and this, from my point of view, that's uh, one that, I, that we would like to tackle. It's the schools, the health system, and try to tackle those fronts as well. But there's a lot of opportunity in, in waste management, solid waste, energy, broadband, and even asset recycling. We have a lot of ideas out there that we're trying to narrow, and I think that's why the unsolicited proposal process is key for us. And I'll say one last thing before I turn it to Mary. Our maritime port transportation, like the cruise terminal P3, comes from an unsolicited proposal. So we have a successful P3 process that went to the market based on unsolicited proposals. So it's market tested 
and it has worked successfully. So we encourage private entities to look at Puerto Rico and come up with ideas and we'll work with them. Exciting times. Mary, any closing comments here for Fermin? Thank you, Fermin. We appreciate you joining us today. I know we're out of time, Marshall, so I'll toss it back to you. It's exciting times. Puerto Rico is beautiful. If you haven't visited, do so. I encourage yes. you as Puerto Rico Tour- Tourism Authority here speaking. It's it's beautiful. It's lovely. Uh, but most importantly, it's an exciting place to invest for infrastructure and for interesting things that government is doing. For me, it's a lot due to your leadership and then your bosses above and around you that I think we're seeing a lot of success. So much is happening. Mary, we're going to talk about schools as infrastructure in a future podcast. I know for me, it's exactly right. The social or vertical infrastructure, community infrastructure. Yes. Gosh, it is a huge opportunity for companies to come and help our school systems solve so much of the problems. Because at the end of the day, just in one example, does a school district really need to worry so much about the school? No, the point is to educate our students and have the teachers yes. be able to do their jobs and not worry about whether the roof's leaking or if the school is safe. So much opportunity there. For me, closing comments from you here. No, uh, thank you. And, you know, I tried to cover a lot, but there's a lot of that we can discuss. But I think in some, Puerto Rico is a great place to do business. It is really the moment for Puerto Rico, we have a lot of opportunities. The economy in Puerto Rico is doing great and unemployment is an, at an all-time low. So you have a great partner with us. Come take a look to Puerto Rico as a place to invest. Um, reach out to us, to all of those who either want to come and invest or those other public officials that want us want help from us to guide you So, to from our experience what we have done. I think there's a lot of opportunities for everybody, so we're open to helping anybody. Take a look at the Puerto Rico Public-Private Partnerships Authority we've had today as our guest in the studio, Fermin Fontanes, the Executive Director of the Authority. Fermin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you all. We'll look forward to seeing you on a podcast in the near future.